Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. This week, I've got a review of the super fun family movie, The Atom Project. Plus, I'm Jeff Braun. I've got a review of the steamy new Anna de Armas Ben Affleck thriller, Deep Water, and a look at the hilarious pirate comedy show, Our Flag Means Death. Plus, sorry, did you say pirate comedy like it's about pirates? It absolutely is, and it's hilarious. Oh, okay. Looking forward to hearing about that. And I also want to tell you about this awesome newish show on Netflix called All of Us Are Dead. But first, Ben Affleck and Anna de Armas are in a new erotic psychological thriller on Prime Video out this weekend called Deep Water. You love me? Of course. She's comfortable flaunting all these relationships around all of us. You're better than that. She's different. That's what I like about her. I just want to feel joy in my life. You want to tell me why you didn't come home last night? Not really. This isn't a game, Melinda. It's always been a game. Directed by Adrian Lyne, a man who's now in his 80s and who's made a career out of erotic domestic thrillers like Fatal Attraction and Decent Proposal, Nine and a Half Weeks. His last movie was 2002's Unfaithful with Diane Lane, so he's been off the radar for 20 years until now. The movie is based on and updated from a book in the 1950s from author Patricia Highsmith. She also wrote The Talented Mr. Ripley. So Affleck and his buddy Matt Damon now have that author in common. Affleck and DeArmas, who dated in real life for a bit around the time they made this movie, play a married couple with more than a few issues. Chief among them is he's a big drip and she's a drunk and she's also extremely flirty with other men and almost certainly having several affairs. Affleck at first doesn't seem to like he cares at all, but he gets more and more worked up as the movie goes along. He also jokes early on that he's killed one of the men people thought she was having an affair with, and it turns out that people take that joke seriously, and then when another body turns up in their town, he's a prime suspect in most people's eyes. So the movie has us trying to guess whether he's a killer or not, and it doesn't wait until the end to confirm one way or the other, and that's sort of where the movie either gets much better or much worse. I can't really decide. The first half is definitely more intriguing as we try to figure this couple out, but the second half gets kind of bonkers at time, and that's just a little bit more fun. Affleck plays Vic, a computer engineer who sold some microchip he created to the U.S. government for millions of dollars. He is now retired, and he has two hobbies. He has a, a snail farm in the basement, and the other hobby is being suspicious of his hard-partying wife. De Armas plays Melinda, a young lady who drinks too much, is way too flirty with other men, like I said, but she also still has seems to have some sort of attraction to her husband, even though it does bother her that he doesn't seem to be ever be jealous of her and her flirtatious ways. So they're kind of opposites. He's very quiet while she's a, a wild card. They have a group of friends who seem to have a big party every weekend at one of their homes where Melinda flirts and Vic watches from across the room scowling. But there are also scenes where they do appear to love each other or at least lust each other. They have pretty good chemistry. You can see why they dated for a bit in real life. And frankly, that chemistry is one of the main draws of this movie. It helps keep you interested when the plot 
doesn't. And then, like I said, the body count starts uh, starts going up. The group of friends are weirdly caught in the middle. There's that rumor that Vic inadvertently started about himself, joking that he killed a guy. Then there's Melinda's accusation that he may have killed another guy. It's a very strange group dynamic. Eventually, one of their friends, played by the great Tracy Letts, who seems to pop up in two movies a year when I least expect to see him, starts to get suspicious and starts to act on his suspicions. But he also tells us that he's a crime fiction writer. So maybe he's sort of seen things that aren't really there because he wants to. There's a lot of that sort of thing going on in this movie where we're trying to figure out if everything is as it seems or not. But like I said, they do answer quite a few of the mysteries long before they get to the ending. And then near the end, while it gets bonkers in a fun way, there are also some really stupid decisions made by a few characters that are hard to look past. It's not as blatant as, say, you know, shooting someone and then just putting the gun on your coffee table, but it's pretty close to that level of... uh, why would you do that? That's just stupid. Overall, not a great movie by any means, but some of the performances are fun. The chemistry between Affleck and Armas is pretty strong, and a lot of the time, it does feel like a fun throwback to the kind of thrillers that Adrian Lyne uh, made in the past, kind you don't really see anymore, at least not with A-list stars involved. So if you like the genre or if the actors that are in this movie, you know, it's definitely worth checking out. It's on Prime Video. Uh, three couch cushions out of five, I'll give it uh, for Deep Water, Brett. All right, and uh, so that's at home. If you want to watch a movie at home, there are a couple of movies opening in theaters that we just want to quickly point out because they're both actually getting solid reviews. One of them stars Mark Rylance, the Academy Award winner, Ooh. and it's in a movie called The Outfit. You've been all over the world. You could have a shop anywhere you like, and yet you're here. It doesn't terribly much matter where I am. I have my shears. What else does a man need besides his shears? This isn't art. This is a craft. You cannot make something good until you understand the customer. Do we let all of our customers keep black boxes in back? If we only allowed angels to be customers, soon we'd have no customers at all. All right. So this is described as a gripping and masterful thriller in which an expert tailor, played by Rylance, must outwit a dangerous group of mobsters in order to survive a fateful night. And it is at 90 Six percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, this the summary there. The outfit isn't flashy, but a solid story. And Mark Rylance's tightly tailored performance make this a comfortable oh. fit for fans of old school thrillers. I just that found out good. about this like ten minutes before we started recording. Yeah, and I'm I'm excited about this. I'll check it out at some point. Maybe not right away in theaters, but at some point. Mark Rylance, he's an awfully good actor. We sort of still kind of love to hate that guy, though, because you, you mentioned he's an Oscar winner. He won in 2015 for the Steven Spielberg movie Bridge of Spies. But, of course, he beat that year uh, and broke our hearts. He beat uh, Sylvester Stallone, who was nominated for Creed, who we, everyone was convinced was about to win an, uh, an Oscar for his acting, and he just didn't, and Rylance took it. So kind of still bitter towards Rylance about that one. All right, fine. Screw that guy. The other movie out this weekend in theaters is called X. Farmer's Daughter, take one. I need to be famous, Wayne. All the best people are. There ain't nobody else out there like you. You know why? Why? Because you got that X Factor. 
Our days of struggling may soon be over. Hollywood, here we come. I just want me. So this is it. Our own studio backlot. You're looking for a place to stay. Oh, yes, sir. That's one ugly song. And my wife, Pearl, is next door. So I would appreciate a little discretion. X is set in 1979, and it is uh, described as young filmmakers setting out to make an adult film in rural Texas, but when their reclusive elderly hosts catch them in the act, the cast members find themselves in a fight for their lives. And uh, 98% on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, described as a fresh spin on the classic slasher formula, X marks the spot. And uh, Ty West gets resoundingly back to his horror roots. So, I again, another movie I had not heard of, but it's always cool when you see a horror movie that's described as sort of fresh and original. It's not just not just scary, but it's also actually a good film. So a couple of interesting movies out this weekend. And again, Deep Water available on Prime. Then in a moment, I want to tell you about a movie that came out last week on Netflix that ended up being a really pleasant surprise because it was a Netflix that didn't leave me completely disappointed. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. We previewed it last weekend. Very briefly did we preview it. Now I've got a review of a Ryan Reynolds movie on Netflix. It's called The Atom Project. What's going on, honey? It's the third time you've been suspended for fighting. I know, you'd think I'd be better at it by now. I don't understand you. Dad would. I miss him too, you know. But son, you need to think about your future. Because it's coming. Sooner than you think. Indeed, his future is coming sooner in a rather unexpected form. Take it easy. Ah! Or, you know, fall down and scream. You knew how to get in my dad's garage. You knew how to close the fridge. We have the same scar. Right here. And... You're wearing my dad's watch. This watch? You're me. That's classified. But yes, I once was. So Ryan Reynolds, Adam, is from the future. He crash lands back in time in this fancy jet, and he teams up with his younger self, and eventually their late father, to save the future. The cast features, of course, Ryan Reynolds, Jennifer Garner as his mom, Mark Ruffalo as his dad, Zoe Saldana, and in his big first role, Walker Scobell as young Adam. And I wanted to make sure to get the name in, Jeff, because I know that that's kind of been a gag of ours for years now. What do we always say when when there's a child actor? Yeah, we'd say like starring Ryan Reynolds, Jennifer Garner, Mark Ruffalo, and some kid. (laughs) Exactly. It's just some kid, but some kid in this movie is some 
actor. I think he has a very bright future ahead of him. He was fantastic and perfectly cast as a young Ryan Reynolds because he's just as much of a smart aleck as Reynolds is known for and everything, including this particular film. 68% on Rotten Tomatoes, summarized as follows. You've seen Ryan Reynolds do this sort of thing before, but The Atom Project offers slickly entertaining and occasionally even moving sci-fi action. I should point out first... I know I made the wisecrack that it's the first Netflix movie that didn't leave me completely disappointed. Look, I know Netflix has put out some Oscar-worthy stuff, okay? Uh, I'm not pretending that hasn't happened. And it's not like I've hated every movie that's come out. I just, I think I still have a bit, bit of a stank from Bird Box that was such a, it was so overhyped and it was so bad. I just, I was disappointed so badly in that movie. I guess I shouldn't say it was so bad, but it just was not worth the hype. And uh, even the movies that I think were pretty cool, like Extraction, starring Chris Hemsworth, was it left me wanting more. But there was there was something there, so I'm hoping the sequel is a little bit better. And in this one, maybe I just made sure to keep my expectations where they belonged. Like you, watching the trailer, you could tell this was just going to be your standard. Family, fun, sci-fi, and because it was on Netflix, it would probably be the kind of movie that you would be irritated that you paid money to see in a movie theater. Although I kind of wonder, and especially if I was a kid, and that's that's what was so great about The Adam Project. It felt like I was watching a movie that I would have watched in 1985. Like It's a very simple story here. They don't get bogged down in the science or the the whole time travel stuff. It's just he's... They're from the future. He's got to stop the bad person in the past from doing the bad things that lead to the bad future. The end. And it's just great. And it was actually, like, surprisingly touching and funny. Great cast. Simple. It was short. Like, it was under a minute. F- or a minute. <laughs> it was under an hour 45. Just watch the commercial for it. Yeah. Yeah, just watch the trailer and you're good. No, but it was an hour 45, so it was just it was a movie that I could actually just turn on and I actually watched it all the way through. That never happens. So that like it actually held my attention that well. So I don't know, I I really enjoyed it. It's not perfect. It's I wouldn't even call it original. I just enjoyed it. It felt like a nice uh, classic 80s movie, and I think this is perfect for a uh, family view. So I'm going to give The Adam Project four couch cushions out of five. So there you go. Uh, I should also mention Joe versus Carol is starts on Wednesday. I forgot about that. Uh, it starts on Showcase. This is a, a Peacock show from the U.S., and it's about the Tiger King, Joe Exotic. Of course, none of the marketing says that it is about the Tiger King. I'm guessing that's a a legal thing or whatever, because that's a Netflix property. But uh, yeah, Kate McKinnon plays Carol Baskin, who's the big cat enthusiast. And a guy named John Cameron Mitchell plays Joe Exotic. I've never heard of this John Cameron Mitchell. I mean, we know Kate McKinnon from Saturday Night Live and all the other stuff she's done. Have you heard of John Cameron Mitchell? I don't think so. I'm just going to look it up right now. No, that guy does not look familiar to me, and uh, none of the other stuff he's in are things that I have seen, so he's, he'd be new to me, but I'm not going to watch this either. So Yeah, apparently he was in, uh, I guess he was in The Good Fight, or maybe is in The Good Fight still, and he's he's got a huge list of accolades here, or of uh, career stuff that he's done in his career, including an episode of MacGyver! 
back in 1987. <laughs> anyway, uh, so if you liked The Tiger King, this might be worth checking out, especially with Kate McKinnon involved. That could be a lot of fun. And we only have a minute here before we got to press pause. I just I, went, I meant to mention this to you last week, Jeff. I guess I was yeah. inspired by the fact that uh, I had just finished watching Peacemaker, the John Cena show on Crave. I decided to look up F9, Fast and Furious, nice. and I found it How'd, on Crave. How'd you enjoy it? I, I enjoyed it a lot because I had heard, I think I remember you being disappointed with it. And yeah, it's dumb that they go to space, but who cares? I don't know. It just, it was the, it, maybe it was just the right. I talked recently about how I was in a bad mood when I watched Skyfall, the James Bond movie, and I didn't really care for it. I was in the perfect mood to watch a dumb action movie. So I think that's why it, it really hit the mark for me. And I like John Cena in it. So I think he's a good addition. I hope he comes back for F10. We've got one more year. I just looked it up. It's uh, April 2023, F10 in theaters. Going to be awesome. Uh, so they went to space in F9. Does this mean they go into deep space or go to another dimension? Maybe they will solve the multiverse for Doctor Strange. <laughs> We could only hope. <laughs> uh, in a moment, we are going to tell you about that pirate comedy that Jeff was talking about. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. And there is a hilarious show on Crave right now. It started a few weeks ago. It's a pirate comedy called Our Flag Means Death. Blackbeard, Captain Kidd, the gentleman pirate... Well, the first two are like very, very talented pirates. But the last one is the scariest of them all. Instead of killing with weapons, he kills with kindness. Oh, right, so you're the g gentleman pirate then. Well sussed. The rumor is you upended your entire comfortable life to become a pirate. We're gonna go on up there and uh... We're going to cause some havoc. How violent do we expect this to get? Note the gusto! Mind you taking notes! I'm just looting this library, but I'm replacing all the books I've looted with ones I've already read. Our flag means death does for pirates what we do in the shadows, what what we do in the shadows, I should say, does for vampires. And both shows have a common denominator in Taika Waititi. He was one of the guys behind the Shadows movie that begat that TV show. And here he's a producer as well as an actor. He plays one of the main pirates. The show is set in the 1700s on the high seas. Reese Darby is a star. And if you've ever seen the show Flight of the Concords, you've seen him. He played the Concord's manager, Murray, on that show, and he stole every scene he was in from two very funny guys. One of the Concord's was Jermaine Clement, who made the Shadows movie with Waititi. So there's this whole close-knit com community of comedy folks from New Zealand who are among the funniest people on the planet. Darby plays Steed Bonnet, a.k.a. the Gentleman Pirate. And as I Googled something else about pirates four episodes into my watch this week, I was blown away to discover that Steed Bonnet, the Gentleman Pirate, was in fact a real guy. And and after reading the first paragraph on Wikipedia about his pirating, I realized that the show was telling the actual story about him, more or less, in broad strokes. So I stopped reading because I was afraid of 
hitting some story spoilers. Now, obviously, the show is taking an enormous amount of creative license, as all shows do, but especially comedies where the first objective is to be funny, not historically accurate. Steve Bonnet is captain of this pirate ship. He's very new at it. He was a fancy rich man in England, bored with life, so he had his ship built. He found a bunch of pirates that no one else seemed to want on their cruise, and he set off with them for adventures on the high seas. The trouble is, he's pretty dumb and quite a bit of a coward, so that kind of conflicts with the necessary plotting and violence that comes with pirating. They're all kind of dumb, which is where most of the humor comes from, and I enjoyed every second of it. The cast uh, includes a few other faces you might recognize. Ewan Bremner from Train Spotting, for example, plays one of uh, plays a longtime pirate, probably the most valuable on the crew as far as knowing the seas. Hodor from Game of Thrones is in this show. He's, he, it's nice to see that he you know, won't just be remembered only for being Hodor. He, he makes an impression here. There are a variety of other guest stars along the way from other pirates, the British and Spanish navies, other people they bump into on islands they land on, things like that. Most notably, though, there's Blackbeard the pirate, also a real character, obviously. He's played by Taika Waititi. He's also dumb like Steed Bonnet. And they form a weird friendship where Steed wants Blackbeard to show him how to be a, a better, nastier pirate. And Blackbeard wants Steed to show him how to be a gentleman. I found the show hysterical. There were six episodes out on Crave when I watched uh, this past week. Two more are out now. And the final two for the season will come out next week, Thursday. And they're all just about a half hour long. It's easy to plow through them all quickly. And well worth it if you're looking for something funny. I highly, highly recommend Our Flag Means Death on Crave. All right. So we're going to jump now from Our Flag Means Death to a show with a similarly optimistic and happy title, All of Us Are Dead. So the first thing I should point out about All of Us Are Dead is that it is a Korean show, so effectively all I could really get from the the trailer was a couple of words to show that and then sound of the zombies doing their zombie thing. So before you say, uh, another zombie show, uh, it's Korean, I don't want to watch a foreign show, I don't want to watch something with subtitles, okay, this thing... Uh, we all, I'm sure, have heard of Squid Game by now. I know many of us have watched Squid Game. The Couch Potatoes watched Squid Game, and we loved that show. And it's clear that a lot of quality programming comes out of Korea. I watched another show a few months back, also on Netflix, called Hellbound, which was um, pretty good. I interesting concept about these demons these giant black like dark geez black as as death demons come out of the ground they're as big as the incredible hulk and uh they basically hunt you down when it's your time to go and then they suck your soul out right in front of everybody so it's this weird mystery as to why is this happening now why are they just is this how it's always been but we just couldn't see it or like why are they making a show out of it so there's this kind of supernatural mystery and uh, the season ended on a pretty good cliffhanger so I'm curious to see how that goes and All of Us Are Dead is a super fresh spin 
on the zombie genre. The simple plot here, trapped students must escape their high school, which has become ground zero for a zombie virus outbreak. So with the timing of the release of this show, I think it's pretty easy to sort of draw comparisons to the pandemic in in the sense of the speed at which the virus uh, was making its way through everybody. But this is, I should point out, this is based on uh, a webtoon which was published back in 2009 and 2011 called Now at Our School. So here we are in 2022 and it's been adapted for television. But some interesting things about this, unique things, especially in the Netflix world where we now seem, where eight marks the spot, right? Like eight seems to be the magic number, Jeff, now for most shows that we see on streaming. Not all, but yeah, most. Yeah, it seems like it, because it used to always be 10, and we used to just invariably complain about, I think, every single show we saw on Netflix, even the ones we really liked that bogged down in the middle. Like, why is this 10 episodes? It didn't need to be this long. Yeah, that's because we we first celebrated when shows started going from 22 episodes down to 13, which was great, <clears throat> but even in some of those cases, they were still too long. Dexter was, I think, the, it was always the classic example that I would point to in saying that they had to shoehorn in all these extra subplots with these extra characters that really didn't help serve the overall story. They just had to fill the time. Uh, I think a show like Dexter would have benefited from an 8 to 10 episode format. This one's 12, and I didn't know that when I first started watching it. And I started watching it because it's been in the top 10. I'm not sure. I forgot to check if it's still there now. But it was in the top 10 uh, since it came out on January 28th. And I thought, well, I like zombie stuff. I mean, I'm kind of sick of it, but... If it's from Korea, it's probably a fresh take. It's going to look different, and their sensibilities are going to be different. So let's check it out. And I loved the first episode, but I should point out that it is long because each episode is minimum 60 minutes. Some of them are 65 or maybe the well, maybe not minimum, but like let's say 55 to 65 minutes of show. So when you add that all up, that's like 700 and I think I added it to like 720 minutes of TV. And that's if you put that into network television terms, like that we're a 60 minute show on, say, global television is usually 44 minutes. Well, that's 16 episodes of TV. So this isn't your typical Netflix or streaming binge, right? Like whether it's Netflix or Disney Plus, all the Marvel shows tend to be six episodes. Uh, Prime often goes with the eight-episode format. So this isn't your your typical, like, I'm just going to sit sit down and rip through this. And the content is pretty heavy as well. Should point out, by the way, it is zombies, and yes, it is super violent and super gory. These uh, The zombies, they're like the rage monsters that we see in Dawn of the Dead, the ones that move really fast, or the 28 Days Later, or World War Z even. So that, I think, adds to the fear factor in the sense that there is almost it's almost impossible to escape these zombies once they start coming after you. But I didn't finish it. I've made it through eight and a half episodes. So I'll give you the full debrief next week. I am really enjoying it, though. Uh, some great character development. 
even you know, this, the fact that it is slow and a bit longer, I think actually helps this show. Um, and I, I, I like that they put it in a high school setting because I think we can all remember, I think we can all relate to that high school setting because I don't know about you, Jeff, but I still feel like a 16 year old, partly because I'm just that immature, but sometimes <laughs> there are, there are moments where I genuinely look in the mirror and go, Whoa. Yeah, I forgot about that. You're a 44 year old man now, and you you look like it. Uh, but uh, yeah, we live in the Adam Project. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so so it was nice to to see the to to feel like you could be in that setting, not just worrying about the zombies, but worrying about all the other stuff that teenagers thought was the end of the world. So anyway, I'll I'll give you the full or the the rest of the debrief next week on All of Us Are Dead because in a moment Jeff wants to tell you about the fourth season of one of the most marvelous comedies on television. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff, he is Brett, and The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel wrapped up its fourth season this past week. No more opening act gigs. What? I will only do gigs where I can say what I want. That's what Lenny would do. (laughs) That's different. He's Lenny Bruce. Well, then make me Lenny Bruce. Make me a headliner. How am I supposed to do that if I can't even book you? I don't know. You're my manager. Manage me. That's not how the business works. Then let's change the business. Ready or not, here comes Mama. Prime Video switched its delivery of Marvelous Mrs. Maisel this season from dumping all the episodes all at once binge style like it had the first three seasons to putting out just two episodes each week. Feels like a lot of shows are switching to that mode, which is fine with me. I'd rather watch one or two episodes from a bunch of different shows each week than a ton of episodes from just one show. For one thing, it would help me retain some of the plot between seasons, which was a big problem I had here. I started season four last month when it began and immediately had to hit pause and read a recap of season three because I couldn't remember what had happened. The show, for those who don't know, follows the life of Midge Maisel in the late 1950s and now early 1960s as she navigates her life and career as a stand-up comedian in New York City. She was breaking barriers because it was even more of a man's game back in the day than it is now. Helping her out is her loyal and comically poor manager Susie. And Mitch has a family as well. She has parents, kids, an ex-husband, ex-in-laws. And it's a superb cast led by Rachel Brosnahan, Alex Borstein as the manager, and Tony Shalhoub, of course, stealing scenes whenever he's around. He plays her dad. And this season was terrific. Maisel's career was in the toilet at the end of last year this year she was determined only to take gigs where she could say whatever she wanted no limits and she found herself working at the worst run strip bar in new york city and seeing the burlesque shows there she of course whipped that place into shape but every other gig she tried to get just didn't really seem to pan out properly the family stuff you know it was fine again i'm still not sold on the uh ex-husband character joel although i did find his story much more interesting this year than in other years and Susie saw her management agency expanding a bit she got more clients than just midge and she has an actual office with an assistant that uh, was just great fodder for great comedy watching uh suzy try to be the boss of a place. The show is also one of the most gorgeous productions on television. The period costumes, the art direction, the vibrant colors and flashy camera work and the fast paced dialogue. I get swept up in it every episode. It's just a joy to watch. 
And there are also great a couple of great episodes with recurring guest star Luke Kirby, who plays Lenny Bruce, who, of course, was a real-life comedian of the era. He and Maisel have been friends since season one, uh, meeting on the comedy circuit, as you would expect. And their friendship continues to deepen, and he had some great scenes in the season four finale. The upcoming fifth season, presumably next year, will be the final season, and that's fine with me. It's a serialized comedy that doesn't necessarily have an end goal of any sort to it. In other words, we're not we're not on a journey to a specific place, but there are big life changes that keep happening to all the characters. And when you really start piling a bunch of those onto characters, it can get a little silly after a few years because I mean, in real life, people just don't have that many major life-altering things happening to them that often, at least not without taking some kind of a weird critical toll on them. So you would start to lose the realism of it all if you did it for like 10 or 12 years on TV. Again, I've long preached that, you know, five to seven seasons should be the limit for just about every show. It's hard to find a show where, you know, season nine was as good as the earlier middle seasons. Even things I've just rewatched in the last few months, Seinfeld, The Office, both of those have seen saw a, a not insignificant drop in quality after their seventh season. So yeah, you know, Five will be good for Maisel. Season four is out now. It's in the books on Prime Video, and it was a delight as always. I'll just quickly mention this. Interesting that you're reviewing The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel this week because Marvel dropped its trailer for its uh, one of its upcoming TV series. We've got Moon Knight coming up um, just in the next week and a half, I think. But coming up in June, they are releasing Ms. Marvel. And this is a character whom I know nothing about. She's a teenager. She has some sort of cosmic powers. I know she's going to be in the movie The Marvels, which will feature Captain Marvel, as well as Monica Rambeau, who I think is going to be uh, like a second Captain Marvel or something like that. Uh, She was in the WandaVision show. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. right. So apparently in the comics, she was actually, that character was the first Captain Marvel, so I don't know what they're going to do in the MCU, but uh, the trailer was fun, it looks cool, and the interesting thing about it is that they're releasing it on June 8th, so this will be the first time where we have a Marvel show on at the same time as a Star Wars show, or at least like one of their flagship Star Wars shows. I can't remember if the the Bad Batch had any crossover, I think it may have... But uh, they're going to be releasing those both on Wednesdays. Uh, so we'll have a few weeks left of Kenobi. And then we'll also have Ms. Marvel to check out. So Disney now really setting its sights on world domination with the Star Because like when they opened their, when they launched their service, all they had was the Mandalorian. But now they are just pumping stuff out. Every There's rarely a gap between a Marvel show or a Star Wars show. So to have them on at the same time shows just how confident they are in their product lineup. And that's all the time we've got. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother.